You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Proofpoint researchers track the latest developments from the unusually diligent cyber criminals TA505. ISIS turns to newer, less closely monitored and moderated apps as it's pushed out of larger social networks. Reddit asks users to reset their passwords and to make them good ones. Google seems to have made strides against expansive interpretation of the EU's right to be forgotten. And the curious tweets of at Hal 9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
chat groups, channels, and media sharing apps, some open source, many designed for business gaming purposes. Some of these include Rocket Chat, Viber, and Yahoo Together. As they've noticed ISIS promoting their use, several of the applications are seeking to block the group's adherents and followers from establishing a presence there, but with mixed results. Among the more interesting developments has been ISIS's use of gaming channels for inspiration. Discord, in particular, is said to be drawing a fair amount of ISIS activity. Wired calls for all of these channels to take quick action against the burgeoning jihadist presence, but it's not clear how such action could be taken in an unproblematic way. Consider gaming channels. How clearly would ISIS content stand out from the ordinary, disinhibited chatter of online gaming? The seemingly endless string of data breaches and privacy violations by service providers large and small has led to a growing call for meaningful privacy and data protection legislation here in the U.S. Amish Devetia is CEO and co-founder of Baffle, a company focused on data encryption and key management, and he offers his views on the growing frustration with how companies handle our private information. Data collection is uh, is a given these days. No matter what we do, data will be collected. Obviously, a lot of the tech companies base their entire business models on the fact that they collect data and they have to profit from it. Otherwise, they would have to charge for their services. But just because they have data does not mean that they can misappropriate it. And I think that's where regulation really comes in, that we have to make sure that the regulation will make sure that these companies and any entity, it doesn't even have to be a company, even the government is uh, responsible for losing data. So any entity that collects data has to process it responsibly. And so how do you propose that uh, that can be done? I think it is a dialogue. I think um, regulations like GDPR force the creation of what is known as a, uh, as a DPO, a data protection officer. So data protection officer has to be a key voice in that dialogue. And again, it is, a, it is a good mix. It is a balance that they have to strive between business needs and the fact that it is somebody else's data that they are processing. So we come up with ways of actually protecting data. One of the important things uh, that the industry is gravitating towards is that the data has to be protected as soon as it's collected. But then the difficult part comes in, which is how do you figure out a way where you process that data? without actually revealing the underlying records themselves. Hmm. GDPR certainly has set the stage, but then um, over the course of last year, we've had many other regulations that have come in and followed through with that. Uh, the, the California Consumer Privacy Act, even overseas, uh, countries like Singapore have the Personal Data Protection Act, and all of them are starting to focus on the fact that you have to make sure that the records themselves are protected. They don't necessarily get into the technology and say, this is how you shall protect it. They all just say you have to protect the data because if you lose it, then you'll be fined. And do you suppose that uh, those fines are going to have the intended effect or might we be in for some unintended consequences? Well, we'll see how it works out. I think that decisions are eventually going to be decided by the, by the courts because uh, we already have started seeing some of these um, lawsuits uh, being, being filed uh, in connection with GDPR or now actually thanks to regulation in this country by U.S. entities as well. The, the Marriott breach, which is monumental, 500 million records, is a great case in point of how breaches continue to happen. Breaches continue to happen in spite of all the money that's being spent on cybersecurity. 
so clearly we are not anticipating these threats well one of the, the running jokes we have is uh, the, one of the reasons why these breaches are not being detected is because we have this mission impossible threat model that we are working with where we are assuming that uh, the way threats happen and attacks happen is when tom cruise drops from the ceiling of the data center and steals disks well, it doesn't happen like that. There's much, much easier ways to steal data. And that's exactly what happened in case of Marriott, where they stole the data um, while being privileged users or database administrators, if you will. They were pretending to be administrators, stole the data, and encrypted the data on their way out so it couldn't be detected. Many, many details will still emerge, but the early indications seem to be that they did do what was required by compliance, which is protecting data at rest. It wasn't adequate. So clearly encryption and uh, protection mechanisms need to continue to evolve to make sure that the threats are mitigated. Yeah, it's interesting to me. I mean, it strikes me that every company says your privacy is important to us. But I think it's we've reached the point where when you hear a company say that, there's a tendency to kind of roll your eyes and say, yeah, but in the meantime, uh, you know, here's everything you're doing with my data. Do you think there's a competitive advantage to be had here from companies who who actually, uh, you know, walk the walk, talk the talk? Absolutely, there is. So security has traditionally always been an afterthought. It's always been something that's a necessary evil in order to get through compliance or get through audit. I think this year, 2018, has really been the year at which it starts to become more of a competitive advantage. If you, as the data collector, is able to store the data responsibly, and then be actually be able to process the data so that you're never actually exposing the data in the clear. That is the winning formula. And that's what will set these companies apart. Notification requirements, like we were talking about in our last podcast, are absolutely all over the place now. Every state has one, which means that if you lose data in the clear, you have to disclose it. And that is a huge damage to reputation of these companies because they're all consumer facing and they have to make sure that customers feel good about doing business with them. So it is going to become a competitive advantage. And I think that's where the companies will take it seriously because their investment now is really about enhancing their business more than just an unnecessary evil to avoid hackers getting in. That's Amish Devetia from Baffle. If you're a Reddit user and have recently found your account inaccessible, the service is in the process of restoring access user by user. Reddit has locked down a large number of accounts over security suspicions aroused by unusual activity in those accounts, consistent with the presence of unauthorized users. As users reset their credentials, Reddit is advising them to choose complicated, non-obvious passwords and, above all, not to recycle passwords used in other accounts. GDPR has had a worldwide impact, but a recent advisory opinion rendered to the European Court of Justice, the EU's high court based in Luxembourg, may have imposed some limits on the application of the right to be forgotten in particular. The opinion is non-binding but significant and is being regarded as a win for Google, which has been fighting an attempt by French authorities to get the search engine provider to apply the right to be forgotten everywhere. The basis for the Advocate General's opinion is concern about reciprocal efforts such enforcement might have. 
The Advocate General warned that ordering removal of content from sites accessed outside the European Union would in all likelihood provoke retaliation by other jurisdictions who would block information from being accessed from within the EU. As he put it, there's a real risk of reducing freedom of expression to the lowest common denominator across Europe and the world. And finally, reflections on how NSA came to learn about the possibility that it had a pack rat at Fort Meade continues to take an interesting turn. Redacted court documents released in the Hal Martin case suggested to many that Mr. Martin had been in touch with the shadow brokers and perhaps had been the source of the tools the brokers leaked. One of the tweets mentioned material that had a shelf life of three weeks. But the shelf life three weeks tweets said to have aroused such suspicion at NSA in 2016 were apparently turned over to NSA by Kaspersky, according to anonymous sources not authorized to discuss what they know who spoke to Politico this week. The tweet was addressed to Yevgeny, presumably Eugene Kaspersky himself, by at Hal 9999999, as Ars Technica reports. Thus, it was Kaspersky, the Washington Post notes, and not U.S. counterintelligence officers who first twigged to the possibility that someone may have been getting ready to leak classified information, and that warning is being connected to Hal Martin's arrest. Two points are worth making. First, Mr. Martin, who's entitled to the presumption of innocence, is charged with mishandling and unlawful retention of classified material, not with passing it to anyone. So the shadow broker's leaks that soon followed the tweets may be coincidental, if one believes in such things. Second, as interesting as we find reading and writing about this developing story, the fact that anonymous sources not authorized to speak are speaking as much as they are, suggests that U.S. federal insider threat programs remain more loosey-goosey than the intelligence community would probably hope. Sure, it's interesting, but if the feds are this leaky, what hope is there for the average small business contractor trying to control its insider threat exposure? By the way, how do we know that at Hal 9999999 is in fact even a person? Couldn't it be some malign AI? It's not exactly the HAL 9000 that Mr. Kubrick and Clark tried to warn us against in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Too many nines, for one thing. But maybe an offspring or a cousin? We've heard about this AI stuff. Think 2001 was just fiction? Head in the sand, sheeple. Head in the sand. We're just kidding, of course. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and also director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Jonathan, uh, good to have you back. Uh, We had a story come by from Wired, and this was about uh, the next generation of Wi-Fi security, uh, upping their game and uh, increasing security there with better encryption and so on. Can you give us an overview of what's going on here? Yeah, this is a new uh, standard, the WPA3 standard that's been coming out to protect, as you said, wireless communication. And uh, it has a number of interesting features, actually, and upgrades to the previous security that uh, was being offered by WPA2. And in particular, uh, one of the things it addresses is the fact that many people might be using a very weak password to protect their wireless communications. And they built in protection here to kind of uh, mitigate uh, against that sort of thing. And how can they do something like that? What's going on under the hood? Well, right now in the WPA2 standard, the uh, password is sent in such a way or used in such a way that an attacker can record the conversation between a user and the base station, record all the messages that were sent back and forth, and then go offline and try to apply what's known as an offline dictionary attack, basically trying uh, thousands of different potential common passwords until it finds the right one. And the point is that those kind of offline dictionary attacks are much more uh, easy for an attacker to carry out than an online attack where they have to sit there and actively interact with your network. So the new WPA3 standard actually prevents this offline dictionary attack, uh, which means that even if you're using a weak password, uh, the attacker won't be able to to go offline and figure it out. Hmm. And and so uh, by default, uh, WPA3 is going to have uh, encryption active from the get-go. Yeah, so, I mean, WPA2 also offers encryption, but I guess the point is here that it's a, uh, an extra layer of protection for users that don't choose strong passwords. Now by, now, by the way, that's not to say that you shouldn't choose a strong password. Obviously, a strong password is going to be better than a weak one, but here they're offering some additional layer of protection even for people who choose weak passwords. Yeah, kind of protecting people from themselves. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly how they're selling it. <laughs> yeah, all right, it's interesting. Well, I have to see uh, how it uh, spreads and how quickly this uh, actually makes it out into devices. Yeah, we'll have to see actually how quickly uh, manufacturers are going to install this new standard in their devices to allow users to go ahead and upgrade. Yeah. Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. 
proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Thank you.